It's the Chronicles of Aguna. We are back. I am back from my holidays and what a game to come back into the fold for. Arsenal take on Manchester United this weekend. We'll be previewing that and discussing Arsenal's transfer window as well as taking your questions. As I say, on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Here we go. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, the Arsenal uh, show brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this episode, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Manchester United, a big game coming up at Emirates Stadium this weekend. Uh, we're also going to be discussing Arsenal's transfer window, having seen a couple more, or a few more players actually, uh, leave Emirates Stadium and head for Pastures New albeit in some cases on a temporary basis on loan deals. Um, but have we left ourselves a little bit short? We'll also be reflecting on Mikel Arteta's reaction to having his tactics questioned uh, in the press conference leading up to this game. And I'll be taking your thoughts, of course, from the live chat. Now, I am a little bit out of practice. We haven't done one of these shows for over a week. Uh, I've been on my holidays. Um, lots of you were sort of messaging me, DMing me uh, over the course of the last week saying, like, why would you go away when A, the season has started and B, in the final week of the transfer window? Well, the reason I went away was because one of my closest mates was getting married. I was on best man duties and it made sense to, to time my holiday around that because, of course, the wedding was abroad. So what I did was I got the family together uh, and we set off uh, for the beautiful island of Crete to not only celebrate the wedding, but to have a little bit of a holiday as well. That's what we did. We are now back. Um, I'm back into work. I got back at 4 a.m., I think it was, on a Thursday, well, Friday morning. Uh, had a few hours sleep, got up, went into work, uh, went into Talk Sport, did the Talk Sport 2 show, uh, which was great fun, uh, alongside Abby Summers, even if she does support the wrong team. Uh, and then I went over to 90 Min to do our transfer deadline day stream. By the time I got home, it was about 8, 9 p.m. And I was absolutely shattered. It's catching up with me, uh, I have to say. Not the holiday, because obviously that was a rest and that was a break, but the the travel and not having that time to recover, I think, just got me a little bit. But getting back to normal now, uh, looking forward to uh, getting back into the swing of things. I'm off to Brentford today for Brentford's game against Bournemouth in the Premier League. Updates on BBC London Sport from that one. And then, of course, tomorrow I'm down at Emirates Stadium for the big one, the blockbuster game of the weekend, which, of course, we'll be discussing on this episode of the podcast. If I could just ask, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Please subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. And uh, given that we've been away for about a week, we've lost a bit of momentum, obviously. Um, so please do uh, help us and support us in that as well. Uh, Bib says, it's been so long, Harry. Kept checking the audio pod every day to see if you dropped an episode. Good to see you, mate. Big love from Nigeria. I promise you we are back now and we are back in the swing of things. That was my only holiday um, planned at the moment anyway. Uh, and uh, now it's back into um, back into the swing of things and back into... Uh, the chaos that is the world of Arsenal. Should we start with the game or should we start with the transfer window stuff? I think we should start with the transfer window stuff. Um, I think we should focus on that first because I know there are a lot of disappointed Arsenal fans out there. Disappointed, I think, at the fact that Arsenal 
didn't go out and bring in one more player. I've seen kind of mixed opinion online as to what type of player that player should have been. I've seen some suggest that Arsenal should have gone out and brought another forward in, uh, wide forward being at the top of a lot of people's priority lists. I've seen some being concerned about the defence, the fact that we've maybe left ourselves a little bit short there again. I'm going to give you my views on some of the departures that have happened over the last few days. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you where I stand in terms of the window on the whole. Um, I think it was a window that started really, really positively, right? We managed to get Kai Havertz in, who I think is a good player and will be of some use to this Arsenal side. Just not sure we found that balance with him in the side just yet. Is he someone that's going to come off the bench and impact games? Is he an alternative option, um, a plan B, if you like, to what we have? I think that's kind of where Kai Havertz fits in at the moment. The problem is, is that Mikel Arteta seems to think that he needs to play every single game. Probably feels like having spent £65 million on him. He needs to justify that decision. And that may be, I'm not saying it definitely is, but it may be to the detriment of the team. So we'll get into the, the Havertz debate and discussion a little bit later on. But that was a positive signing. I still believe that that is a positive signing. Urian Timber was a great signing, fantastic signing. And we're obviously incredibly unfortunate that we've lost him for as long as we have. You know, he was brilliant against Manchester City in the Community Shield. Looked as though he settled in really, really well over preseason. And I was expecting him to be if not one of our standout players this summer, arguably the best bit of business because of the price and the value and, and because of what we managed to get him for. Then, of course, we picked uh, Manchester City to the signing of Declan Rice, which was a real big positive as well. And people started to look at Arsenal and think these guys are serious. You know, they really, really want to take this on. We obviously lost Gabriel Jesus, which was a blow. He is back now, back in the fold. He came on as a substitute at the weekend, which is obviously very, very positive news. But We've let a few players go, and that combined with the injury uh, to Jurian Timber, I think in some ways has left us weaker. And that's why I can understand why there are Arsenal fans out there feeling a little bit frustrated about all of this. So Rob Holdings left for Crystal Palace. Four million pounds is what Arsenal were able to get for him. Is it too cheap? I think when you consider that he's, what, 27, 28 years old off the top of my head, very, very experienced. Um, you know what you're going to get from him. You know that he's a, a really good professional. I don't know if anybody saw the interview that he did with uh, with Michael Timms, where he sat down and spoke about what his role is at Arsenal, which is kind of not just on the pitch, but off it as well to help young players to, to be a part of the culture, all of that stuff. You can understand why Mikel Arteta wanted to keep him around for as long as he did, because there was some value to the other stuff. Um, that Rob Holding was bringing to the table. Four million pounds is not a lot of money in today's market. And I can understand why Arsenal fans out there feel let down by the fact that that's all we were able to achieve. Well, first of all, I believe that Rob Holding will have wanted to leave. I think Rob Holding would have wanted to go and play football. There's only a certain amount of time you can stick around. There's only a certain amount of time you can be content with being a bit part player, a substitute, I'm not totally convinced that he walks into Crystal Palace's central defence, by the way. Mark Gurhey and Joe Chim Anderson are two very, very good centre-halves. So he's going to have to fight to earn his place there as well. But obviously there is less competition down at Selhurst Park than there is at Emirates Stadium. So he will feel they can get more game time. He's staying in London. And um, in the case of a player like Rob Holding, I do think that 
the club will take into consideration his wishes. And I do think that the club will almost be okay with accepting less money because of what a good servant he's been and because of how good his relationship is with Arsenal to facilitate essentially the move he wants. And he did have offers from Spain. He did have offers, I think, from Luton Town. But uh, Crystal Palace is where he's ended up. So too cheap, probably, on the surface of it. But I also think we have to change our mindset a little bit. We're no longer in this world where the sort of mid to lower table Premier League clubs are battling and fighting for the scraps of those setting the pace at the top of the table. We're not in that age anymore. Everybody in the Premier League has the financial power and muscle to go out and bring in 20, 30, sometimes even 40, 50 million pound players. And so if you think that we're going to be able to get big money for all of our cast offs all of the time, then I think you're setting unrealistic expectations. Could we have achieved more for Rob Holding? I think we could have. But I think also clubs like Crystal Palace that were interested knew full well that there was a good chance Arsenal would let him leave, knew full well that if they waited till the end of the window and if Rob Holding wanted the move as well, they'd be able to capitalise on Arsenal's essentially desperation to move the player on, the player's desperation to move, therefore they're pushing from their side and they'd get the best possible deal. It's why I always say to you guys, when we're talking about selling players, players that aren't flavour of the month, players that are very much bit part of Arsenal, we're always going to see that activity come at the end of the window. And you've seen Holding, Tavares, Balogun, Tierney all depart in this past week or so. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that these deals weren't done in June or July. You know, that that's just the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. So too cheap, probably. But hey, it is what it is. He's He's gone. Nuno Tavares, um, I say he's gone. I don't mean that in a horrible way. I genuinely do wish Rob Holding all the best because, as I say, I think he's a great guy. I think he's been a good servant to Arsenal Football Club, albeit not good enough at times. I think we know that. I think he knows that and hence why he wanted to move on. Nuno Tavares has gone out on loan to Nottingham Forest. Um, You know, I don't think he has a future at Arsenal Football Club, particularly when you think about the profile of fullback that Mikel Arteta tends to go for now. Tavares just doesn't fit in that. Tavares, for me, is a wingback in a back five. He needs that license to be able to get forward in impact games because I think he's much better at doing that than he is at sitting in and defending. So I think, you know, Nuno Tavares needs to go somewhere where the system works for him and Nottingham Forest do from time to time. Um, and quite often actually play with that back three and then the two wing backs. And I think it'd be a good fit for them there. Following Balogun's gone. He's gone to Monaco, a deal that we expected to happen for quite some time. It's finally happened. Um, good money, I think, from Arsenal's perspective. I did tweet something the other day and I got a couple of those standard replies. Oh, look, the club PR puppet. He's only going to say this. He's only going to say that. The truth is, when it comes to the following Balogun deal, is we won't actually know if this was a good deal or not until later down the line. To get the money that we did for him, I think when you consider that, you know, 12 months ago, he wasn't even worth half of that, I think he's, he's good business from Arsenal's perspective. And that's why Arsenal had to take it. Factor in as well that following Balogun made his intentions clear. He doesn't want to be at the football club because he feels like he's ready to play first team football. He didn't fancy hanging around fighting for a place. He didn't fancy being on the peripheries at Arsenal. He believes he's ready. You know, all of those factors lead to the sale being the best thing for everybody, the best outcome for all parties involved. 
And he's got his move to Monaco, back to Ligue 1, a league in which he flourished last season. And I think he'll do well there, to be honest with you. I do. But I go back to my original point. We're only going to know three, four seasons down the line if we made a mistake allowing following Balogun to leave for the price we have. If he goes there and doesn't perform and doesn't live up to the expectation that is now around him because of the way he performed in that particular competition last season, then people are going to say, well, Arsenal did brilliantly. They cashed in when his value was high and, and you know, it's wonderful business, brilliant business, et cetera, et cetera. Hindsight is often the thing we need, I guess, to judge whether these deals are the right things for the football club or not. And Balogun is off. And um, look, I'm not massively concerned about our forward options. So for Balogun to leave, it doesn't feel like we're leaving a hole. It doesn't feel like we're leaving a massive void that needs addressing. So that's another reason as to why I think that this is probably a pretty solid bit of business. Obviously, Kieran Tierney's gone as well. Kieran Tierney's gone on loan to Real Sociedad, a club that he was, from what we hear, quite keen to join. Good football club, big football club. Uh, La Liga is a, a wonderful place to play your game. Um, beautiful part of the world as well. San Sebastian, opportunity to go and have a better lifestyle and play, you know, in a competitive La Liga side because that's what Real Sociedad are. But, but this is where I've got a bit of an issue with, with Arsenal here. I don't think this was the best move for Arsenal Football Club. And I, I always say, look, you can't sell someone for something that nobody's willing to pay. But to let Kieran Tierney go out on loan at this stage, given that we knew that holding was off, we know that we weren't going to go out and bring in a replacement for Jury and Timber. I think Arsenal have been very clear on that, um, judging by sort of Mikel's comments yesterday. I just don't think this was in the best interests of the squad and of the side. I think this is in the best interests of Kieran Tierney. And although I say that you should sometimes be willing to compromise and allow a player to get what he wants or facilitate what a player wants if they've acted in a professional way, in the right way, and, and they've been a good, loyal servant. I do think there comes a point where you need to think about the team and you need to think about the squad. And I worry here that we have left ourselves short defensively. We have allowed, essentially, having lost Jurian Timber uh, to that long-term injury, we have allowed another two defenders in holding and Tierney that were a part of the makeup of our squad last season to depart. And we have raised £4 million in total for the two of them. That makes no sense to me. Now, you might say I'm a PR puppet and all the rest of it. I get that shit all the time. And the truth is, I will call out something when I think it's wrong. And I think this is wrong. I think to lose Timber, who came in to add additional depth to that defence and hopefully prevent the issue that we had last season when we lost William Saliba being as big a deal as it was, not just William Saliba, but Takahiro Tomiyasu too, to then lose him, but still sanction the departures of Rob Holding, who, by the way, I don't think is good enough, but it's, it's still a body. It's still a defensive player that we're now without. And the same goes with Kieran Tierney. Did he fit into the system? No, he didn't. Did he ever grasp that inverted fullback role? No, he didn't. But what we're doing now is we're banking on the fitness of people that have proven time and time again that they're not consistently fit. Tommy Asu being a big one. You know, Saliba's problem, I like to think that it was a, a one-off thing and it's not going to rear its ugly head again. We've also marginalised Gabriel Magalash in the last few weeks, which I don't think is a great thing either. I think there are 
a lot of questions to be asked of how Arsenal have dealt with their defensive situation following the injury to Jurian Timber. Now, if you go out and bring someone in, albeit even on a short-term basis, to come in and help us with that issue, and then you let Holding and Tierney go, I don't really think I have a problem with it. It's clear that neither of those two players necessarily fit in with what we want to do, fit in with the system. I get all of that. But to let them both go for a combined £4 million and not bring anyone in, I think is a massive, massive gamble to take. I've heard people over the last few days saying Raw Waters, uh, one of Arsenal's sort of younger lads, is is almost ready to step up. And that's what Mikel Arteta's thinking. And that's why the decision has been taken to let those players go. I don't think he's ready. I, I really, really don't. I don't think he's ready. And um, yeah, we're going to have to see how this goes. We're going to have to keep our fingers crossed because as I say, I think defensively we are we are walking a bit of a tightrope. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. I am. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. So um, yeah, I think we are a little bit short. Not too worried about the forward positions. I kind of semi-worried about uh, the depth in central midfield. Lekonga obviously left last night during uh, transfer deadline day to join Luton Town. Not that I think he was a part of the plan, but it's another body that we've lost in that position. Glad that Jorginho stayed at the club because there was talk of him going as well. And of course, we need uh, that depth there. But the window went from like an eight, nine out of 10 to me. And it's gone down to like a six or a seven. That's quite a dramatic drop. And that drop is not just down to the injury of Jurian Timber. It's down to our inability to then, A, address that. And I know you don't want to just go and sign players for the sake of it. But then I would have thought that maybe you keep hold of, of Kieran Tierney, for example, because he can play left back. He can play as a third centre back if you really want him to. And we've tended to play that way, haven't we, at the start of this season. So I'm a little bit concerned and I'm a little bit worried about a lack of depth in those defensive positions. Anyway, um, we're going to talk Mikel Arteta. We're going to talk, of course, uh, the game against Manchester United this weekend. We'll also quickly touch on our Champions League draw as well. In fact, we'll do that bit after the break. I know it was a few days ago now, but obviously we've been away. There's been no podcast. So I'll just give you my thoughts on that. We'll be back just after this very quick pause. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min football family. Um, let's take some of your comments, actually, on the defensive situation, and then we'll, um, we'll start uh, moving on uh, along the uh, show's agenda. Book Sahar says, Harry, I understand what you're saying about selling defenders, but I really think Arsenal want to reduce the cost in order to make a big purchase in January. I'm sure of it. We need Ivan Tony. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, Book. I, I really, really do. But I don't think the wages that Tierney or Rob Holding were on, for example, were the type that would really hamper Arsenal in their attempts to go out and sign someone if that is what they want to do, someone higher profile in January. I, I really don't see that 
their wages has been an issue. I see this as Arsenal have, have sat down. Mikel Arteta has sat down with these two players, with Rob Holding and Kieran Tierney, had serious, open, frank conversations about their futures. Both have indicated that they'd like to move on if they're not going to be a part of the plans. And, you know, it's been obvious for a while that Kieran Tierney isn't a part of the plan. You know, he, he was never the go-to to replace Zinchenko, which kind of says it all. You know, last season we saw Tommy Asu play at left-back prior to his injury. We've seen Jakub Kivio play at left-back. We've seen um, Jurian Timber play at left-back ahead of Kieran Tierney. We've seen all of these players slot into that position because they bring something to the table in Mikel Arteta's eyes that Kieran Tierney just doesn't. So I think it was obvious that Kieran Tierney wasn't a part of the plans. And therefore, following that conversation, there has been some sort of agreement to let him go. And Arsenal didn't want to go back on that. Did Arsenal anticipate that there'd be more interest in Kieran Tierney? Maybe in terms of permanent deals, but nothing came to the table. Nothing came to fruition. Of course, Newcastle turned to the young lad from Chelsea, didn't they, as a left-back option. Uh, is it Lewis Hall? I think his name is. Which meant that they were no longer in the mix for Kieran Tierney, and they were being discussed as the big contender to bring Kieran Tierney in. That hasn't happened. And now we're in a position, or we were in a position, where the player wanted out, we'd agreed to let him go, and the only thing on the table was a low move to Real Sociedad. That's where, though, I call on the club to just be that little bit more selfish and to just, you know, do what works for them rather than doing what works for the player necessarily, first and foremost. And, and I know that's a horrible thing to say. To keep Kieran Tierney around and give him very little game time would be detrimental to his career. I get all of that. But sometimes as a football club, you need to be selfish. And, and I just think that in letting Tierney and Holding go, not that I think either of them, by the way, fit into the system very well. We've just exposed ourselves and actually weakened our position in terms of dealing with the Timber injury. Timber was the addition that gave us that depth that we needed defensively. To then lose him and not only fail to replace him, but then let players go, I think makes no sense. No sense at all. Um, let's take a bit more. Wesbird says, um, totally agree. Uh, MM says, I think we're a good team, but are we a title winning team? It's hard to say at this stage in the season, isn't it? It really, really is. Um, Jid says, as fans, we've become so spoiled. We think we should have three players for each position in case one gets a red and another gets injured. Ridiculous. I'm not saying that we should have three players in every position. I don't even agree with this thing of you should have definitely two in every position. I think it's really dependent on the makeup of the rest of your squad. We've talked a lot over the summer on this show about versatility, how important that is to Mikel Arteta and how that will enable him or, or, or have him feeling like he can get away with a smaller group and a smaller squad for those reasons, you know, and, and that's, the really kind of interesting thing. If, if you've got less players, but they can play in multiple positions, then do you need as many players or can you get away with sort of rotating and shuffling the pack a little bit to cope with those injuries that are going to come and the issues that are going to come? So, yeah, I'm not trying to, I'm not being spoiled here. I'm not saying that, you know, we should have three players in each position as, as Jid suggested. I'm simply saying that when you think about how our defence proved to be short last year, we went out and signed the top player in Timber to address that. And then we've lost him, not done anything about it. 
and then allowed another two defenders to go. Three, if you include Tavares. I don't include him because I don't think he was a part of the plan. And he certain was, certainly wasn't a part of the setup last season. But it just, it, it just logic tells you it doesn't make sense. Evan says, hey, Harry, 5 a.m. here in Charlotte. Um, wow. Uh, good morning to you, mate. I hope you're good. hope you're well. He says, do you think if we would have spent 30 million on Mark Gay, um, it would have been a window-defining signing, if you will? I like Mark Gay. I think he's a good centre-half. Um, but would I have gone and spent £30 million on him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And this is the thing, right? I, I think we could have gone out and got some sort of short-term solution, just brought somebody in that can help us get through, you know, what's probably going to be the entire season, actually, without Julian Timber. I don't think we needed to go and break the bank. I, I don't think we needed to go out and spend, in addition or in excess of 40, 50 million pounds. I just think we needed a, a capable body in. And I think that if we really wanted to, we could have probably done that in some way, uh, shape or form. And we haven't, um, we haven't. What else have we got? Um, name says, I think rightly or wrongly, Arteta can see Partey playing right back and Rice as a makeshift centre-back. This is probably why he thinks he can make do. I don't even disagree with that. I think he will see those two players as players that could potentially drop into those defensive areas. Um, Clock Orange says, uh, hey, Harry, has it been worth it to trim the squad to be able to bring in players in Jan? Or do you think we still needed more than a replacement um, for Timber? I, I think forget about January. You know, we could be too far behind Manchester City by the time that point comes. So if you're going to bank on what you're going to do in January, then I think you're taking a massive gamble and a massive risk. And listen, this is one of those things that if people stay fit and we're okay, nobody will question it. But if we struggle for fitness in certain departments, if we lose the likes of Tommy Asu again, for example, if we lost William Saliba, for example, we would end up in a position where this would be a big, big talking point. So we got to, um, yeah, we got to, hope and pray that this doesn't come and bite us back in the ass. But I think it's right to highlight that this is a concern um, at this stage. Nikomo says, I hear you, Harry, realistically, who do you think we could have brought in on a loan? It's difficult to say um, in terms of specific names. You know, I'm not in the know. I, I don't sort of have my ear close to the ground. I don't know, um, you know, who was and wasn't available. But what we have seen throughout this window is a lot of clubs willing to let players go on loan without even inserting obligations to buy, which I think is mad. We've seen so, so many of them this summer, so many of those types of deals. So I do think that if Arsenal really wanted, they could have brought somebody in potentially on that type of basis, um, on that type of arrangement to just help them through this period. Uh, Sko says, like it or not, you can't blame recruitment for an injury to a big investment player like Timber. You'll be back in a matter of months and you have to make do with the backup options. I don't blame recruitment for that. I'm just asking questions of the recruitment side because we've then allowed players to go and um, and not really dealt with that. Big hello to Winston King, who joins us uh, from Jamaica. I hope you're good, mate. Um, good to see you. Uh, St. Francis says, considering, we, considering what we have, are you still confident of a title charge or Champions League for that matter? I'm confident in the Champions League. Um, when it comes to the title, I think we just got to stay as close to City as we can and see where we end up. Um, you know, maybe it suits us being the ones chasing rather than the ones leading. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, 
what else have we got uh, in the chat box? There was one uh, point that I wanted to address. Well, let's do the Champions League bit because I said that I was going to do that after the break. I got sidetracked by the comments, which is great, but um, we didn't do the Champions League bit. Good draw. Um, PSV, uh, Lens, of course, uh, and Sevilla. What I will say is, although it's a group that I think we can navigate actually quite comfortably and one that we should get through, even if we do make the odd rotation in the side here and there, you know, I think it is a little bit underwhelming in some ways in that it is a Europa League group, isn't it? Like you look at it and you feel like it's a Europa League group. Um, but hey, you know, we'll take it. The schedule is out now as well uh, on that, which I'll share with you guys actually on the screen. Uh, because often in, in these groups, I do think that the order of the fixtures um, can play a, a part here as well. Uh, hold on a second. Because I think obviously this... Uh, I think that there's some great away trips in there. I think we play at Sevilla back-to-back um, in the middle of the group. You always get those back-to-back fixtures, don't you? Let me just bring this up on the screen. So sure it, uh, hold on. Um, there we go. Gunners. You can always rely on Gunners, uh, the Gunners account on Twitter to, to share this kind of stuff. One second. Uh, let me bring it up. Here we go. So um, you'll see this here now. There we go. So Arsenal's Champions League fixtures on Wednesday, September the 20th. We meet PSV Eindhoven at home. That's our first game. Uh, Tuesday, the 3rd of October, we travel to Lens in France. Uh, On the 24th of October, we take on Sevilla uh, in, of course, Seville. Uh, Then we face them on Wednesday, November the 8th at Emirates Stadium. November 29th, we're at home to Lens at Emirates Stadium. And our final game is away to PSV Eindhoven on Tuesday, December the 12th. So those are our Champions League fixtures. As I say, look, delighted that we're back in the Champions League. It's been a long old wait. It really, really has. And I'm buzzing that we're back in the competition and all the rest of it. Um, Did I hope for one of those blockbuster away trips? Yeah, I did. I got to say that. Um, But I think this is a group that Arsenal should navigate through quite comfortably. Um, I think this is a group that Arsenal should be looking to win. Um, and, and I think it's a group we can win, even if we make one or two changes here and there. And I think that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about the idea of of sort of balancing our title aspirations and our Champions League hopes as well. And as I've said to you guys before, with UEFA messing up the format of this competition from next season, I'm desperate for Arsenal to go all the way uh, and win this thing in its current iteration. So, uh, yeah, very much, uh, of course, looking forward uh, to that. A uh, few more hellos because there's lots and lots of you joining us in the live chat. If I could just ask you uh, before I go on, uh, please do uh, leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Please do subscribe to the channel as well if your brand's spanking you. It really, really does help. There's loads of you with us live at the moment. We've only got 61 likes on the board. Come on, let's drive that up as high as we possibly can. Uh, we're going to take another short pause uh, in a minute. Then we're going to talk Mikel Arteta's reaction to his question, his tactics being questioned. And uh, we're, of course, going to preview that Manchester United game, which is coming up on Sunday in great detail. Uh, who did I see was joining us from uh, British Columbia? Well, one second. Where are we? Where are we? So many comments coming through. I keep losing the ones I want. Here we go. Ioku joins us uh, from British Columbia in Canada. It's 2.45 a.m. there. Wow, and you're up watching this. I am honoured. Thank you uh, so, so much. Okay, um, 
just quickly, Pete Geary says the group is not as easy as everyone is making out. No, it's not an easy group. There's no easy group in the Champions League unless you're Manchester City and then you get the easiest groups uh, humanly possible. So Manchester City, they definitely got an easy group. Us, not so much. Um, but it is a group I expect Arsenal to be able to win given the quality that we have. And listen, if we want to be Premier League title contenders and we want to push in the Champions League, these are the type of teams that we need to be rolling over. And it's as simple as that. You know, you hope that you get off to a good start and you make good headway in terms of your progression from the group early. And that allows you to maybe take your foot off the gas a little bit later on in the group. But I think the fixtures hinder us a little bit here in the way that they're set out. PSV at home, um, you know, they they comfortably dispatched the Rangers in the qualification. But then we have two away games and that's where it could get a little bit tricky. That's where we might well find ourselves in a position where we need to then, you know, beat Sevilla and Lons to, uh, you know, to secure qualification in those uh, two November fixtures. So, yeah, um, not ideal in terms of the way the fixtures are set out. One home game, two aways in our first round, first three, if you like. Um, but, yeah, I think we should still have enough. And, and I'll be very, very disappointed if we don't find our way uh, through this group. It's a tricky one, but it's a pretty good one as well um, in terms of the fact that, as I said earlier on, it feels to me more like a Europa League group than a Champions League group anyway. Okay, let's take another short pause. And when we return, we're going to preview Arsenal's game against Manchester United this weekend. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, I'm just trying to find that um, uh, that clip um, of Arteta sort of moaning a little bit. Uh, was it moaning? I, what was he doing? What was he doing yesterday um, when he was asked about his tactics or whatever? Hold on a second. Let me try and find this. Um, what did it come up as? Arteta, his tactics. Am I going to find this on Twitter now? I'm trying. If I don't, we'll just... Uh, what Mikel Arteta was, was going on about. Because, um, uh, yeah, he just... Um, I don't know. I... I, I, I don't know what he, what message he was trying to convey yesterday. It was all a little bit weird. Anyway, I can't find it, but um, we'll come back to that bit in a bit uh, because he um, was not happy, was he, with the fact that his question, his tactics were being questioned uh, by those in the press conference in attendance. Let me um, hold on a second. So I'm just going through the press conference transcript right now. Let me bring this up on the screen so you guys can see it as well. Where are we? Sorry, I'm a little bit out of practice with all this. I've been gone for a week and I, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Uh, so he spoke uh, ahead of the Manchester United game about um, Flo, Nuno and Kieran. Uh, of course, he said he will be working um, on the uh, the best possible solutions for them on the Balogun transfer. He said we didn't have space for him in the squad to give him the minutes that he needs. He was doing last. Uh, uh, he was doing well last year on loan. He's evolving in the right way and he wanted the chance to continue developing his career. He's going to be a really good club that has huge experience of developing talent, as everybody knows. So I'm happy for him as well. Uh, he was asked about deadline day and he said it will be serene. I, I don't have to do much more work. We're trying to finalise a few things in terms of outgoings. He obviously uh, heaped praise on Eddie Nketiah, who got his first England call-up to the senior squad uh, just the other day as well. He said he was so happy uh, for him. Uh, he was asked whether he takes personal pride in that. Um, 
And he said that everybody that's been involved in Eddie's development feels extremely proud to be on that journey with him. Everybody that has been at the academy with him and been on that journey, his family, everyone is so proud of him. And it's a really nice moment. Um, the bit that I wanted to highlight, the bit that I was trying to find, um, the, the, the bit that I was trying to hear it is here it is. Um, this is the bit that I was trying to find the clip to, um, to play out, but I'll just read it to you instead. He was asked about why he's changed his defense this season. Um, and it, you need to watch the, the clip of this because Arteta gets quite animated in this. And it's actually quite funny um, to watch him kind of like really go in on his explanation here. He's a guy who loves a, a wacky analogy. And as someone who quite enjoys a weird analogy myself, I, I've got a lot of time for this. But I did find it a little bit strange as well. I've got, I got to say, I'll give you some reaction to it in a minute. But this is what he said. He said, the personnel is different. We played differently against Manchester City. And there were 43 different structures in different phases. Every morning, I come from my house to Colney. Sometimes I leave at six and I need to wipe the windscreen because it's icy. And at six o'clock, normally, I go down one road because it's faster. Now it's 20 miles an hour. So sometimes I take the back road and then I go on the M25, which is the motorway surrounding London. But depending on it, if it's a school ride, then I take one exit. If it's after seven o'clock, I take a different exit. If one day I have a flat tire, what do I do? I have to replace it. And so I take a different road because there is a garage. So every game is a different story. But it's not necessarily what he says here. You need to watch how animated he was in giving this explanation and this comparison of his morning commute to his tactics. Mikel Arteta, basically what he was trying to say is that every game is different and requires different things. And that that's what's great about football. And it's not as simple as people make it out to be. And I think he's probably feeling a little bit like, well, I've taken this club on leaps and bounds. I'm in a position now where you're expecting me to win the league. And that's because my team has consistently improved and we've brought in players to add depth to the squad and all the rest of it to hopefully close that gap on Manchester City. Now, three weeks, four weeks into the new season where we've got seven points from a possible nine, two points dropped because of individual errors, I would say, rather than the tactics and the system being wrong, you're questioning me. And that is getting under his skin, clearly. And I think that this reaction really, really does highlight that. And that takes me on nicely, actually, to the team that I think we should see at the weekend against Manchester United. We'll do the tactical preview bit in just a second, but I think we need to um, discuss what the lineup should be. Now, I don't think for, for what it's worth that Mikel is going to do this. I think that Mikel is going to stick with the system that he's enjoyed so far. I think a lot of it is dependent on Zinchenko's fitness. If he thinks Zinchenko's fit enough to start, then we could see the inversion coming once again from the left-hand side where it worked so well for us last season. And maybe us going back to something that looks more normal uh, on the right-hand side rather than seeing Thomas Partey out of the side. I think we'd quite like to see Thomas Partey come back into the midfield. And so if it were me, given that Zinchenko's made a couple of sub appearances now, this is what I would go for. Let me um, make this uh, bigger so that you guys can see it. Here we go. So this is what I would go for. It would be Ramsdale in goal for me. It would be Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba and White across the back line. Partey, Rice and Odegaard in midfield with Martinelli, Saka and Enketia up front. Now, obviously... Gabriel Jesus is back 
Um, he came on as a substitute the other day, um, which is encouraging, but I'm not sure that he's fit enough to start in a game like this from the beginning. Somebody that could certainly come on and impact the game later on, though. Good to have him back as an option. I would take Kai Havertz out of the team because I think against a side like Manchester United, I don't think it's worth taking the gamble and the risk of sacrificing a defender just to fit um, Kai Havertz into this side. I think he was largely ineffective against Fulham. I don't think he had a great game. Um, I think when he came off, we looked better for it. We looked a little bit more balanced. And if anyone, if anyone off the back of what we saw last weekend is pushing um, for a starting role as that extra attack-minded player in the midfield, then it's not Kai Havertz for me. It's Fabio Vieira because he was bloody brilliant when he came on the other day. He had a huge, huge impact in the game. Is Zinchenko the best defensively? No, he's not. But I thought he gave us control when he came on. And, and we really saw what we'd been missing over the last few weeks in terms of creativity from those deep areas. There's no reason why Gabriel can't come back into the side and do the role that he did last season, which is come across and clean up for Zinchenko when he goes into midfield. And there's no reason why if Arsenal do want to revert to a back three at times and push that body into midfield, it can't be Zinchenko going back in as worked so well last season and Gabriel, Saliba and White shifting across. That for me is the team that we should go with. Do I think that that's the team Mikel's going to pick? No. I suspect that he's going to persist with Kai Havertz. I suspect that he's going to um, put him in that role. He's going to drop Rice that bit deeper. He's going to ask Thomas Partey to be playing in that right-back position again. And and I worry about that. I worry about the idea of Thomas Partey being caught in an isolated position, one-on-one with, for example, Marcus Rashford. That concerns me. And it should concern me. I'd be much more comfortable seeing Ben White do that job because um, he's playing it right back, then I would be with um, with Thomas Partey doing that. So th- that's the team I would go with. I think it's clear. Let me just repeat it for those of you listening. Ramsdale in goal, back four of White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Partey, Rice and Odegaard, which I believe is our best midfield in the middle. Saka from the right, Martinelli from the left, and Ketia through the middle. I'll go back to the point I made earlier about the Fulham game, because we obviously we didn't do a full review podcast. We put a short video out. I was away on holiday. I did watch the game in full. I found a nice little beach bar to sit and watch it in, and, and I was probably the most animated uh, person in there. And I don't think people were too pleased, actually, by how I was uh, acting during that game. But listen, I was stressed. I was annoyed. Um, but anyway, the... the the thing is here is that, you know, just just go back to the way we were playing. Just go back to what clearly gives us that bit more balance. But having said that, I think a lot of people overreacted to the system um, when sort of discussing what went wrong against Fulham. And what I mean by that is I think people wanted to pin it on something. People naturally don't want to ever pin anything on Bukayo Saka because of how good he's been for us over the years and and how good he continues to be for us in an attacking capacity. But the truth is, Bukayo Saka was, in my opinion, big time responsible for why we dropped points against Fulham. And more responsible than Mikel Arteta's team selection or the system. And I just think that people don't want to admit that and people don't want to discuss that and people don't want to talk about that. And the problem is when you get into those things is actually you avoid what the real problem is or the real problem was. And rather than focusing on fixing that and addressing that, you're obsessed with nitpicking something else. Yes, the balance is different. 
with this inclusion of Kai Havertz and with Thomas Partey playing in that right back position. But listen, the reason we conceded the goal within a minute is because Bukayo Saka gave a sloppy ball away. And it doesn't matter if there's a right back there or not. You know, he shouldn't be playing that part. He's intelligent enough and good enough and has set the standards high enough over the years for us to not expect him to play a pass like that. He does play the pass, we get punished. Okay, we get ourselves back in front. You know, we get our noses in front. We fought hard. The changes that Mikel made after the break, 10 minutes or so into the second half, made a big, big difference. Um, Vieira was was brilliant when he came on. We talked about his impact before, and I'm so, so pleased for him, by the way, to see him have that impact in a Premier League game is massive. But, you know, the... The truth is that, again, we gave away a corner sloppily. And again, Bakayo Saka, for me, let us down in the way that we defended that corner. I think he could have done more to prevent Paulinho getting the shot away. I, I don't think he, he makes a strong enough challenge. I don't think he's committed enough to try and clear that ball. I don't think he puts his body on the line. And maybe that's unfair of me to say that because it's not his instinct to do so. Like, for example, if Gabriel was the one in that situation. You know that Gabriel is doing everything to get his body in the way and he's committed and he's making that block. And maybe this is a problem, a wider problem where you're asking forwards to do defensive jobs from set pieces. Maybe you need to have players that are better defensively dealing with certain zones as you're defending corners. I think that's a fair argument to make as well. But ultimately, there's individual mistakes that have cost us there. And I think Mikel Arteta would have been fuming after that because he's come away from that game He's taking all the heat. It's all about his system. It's all about his formation. It's all about the decision to play Partey on the right uh, or start Partey from the right, obviously drift inside. And actually, that's not the reason that we lost the game. So I can understand why he's frustrated. But going back to the Havertz point just quickly before we finish up on the lineup, I do think he imbalances us a little bit. Um, I think he gets into good positions. And I think, look, I can see where Mikel was going with this, right? He looked at Xhaka last season and he saw someone who... Yes, helped us out defensively, but also got into some wonderful attacking positions. And his thinking in the summer was, if I can bring in someone who's naturally more gifted, who's naturally more of an attacker, I'm going to get an extra four, five, six, seven goals out of that player a season, which makes us an even more potent attacking force. But then how do I address that balance um, that, 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 you know, is obviously impacted by Granit Xhaka not being there and Kai Havertz being there instead. I think, you know, this is this is what he's thinking is. I think he's looked at some of the games that we dropped points in last season. He was frustrated by some of the issues we had when trying to break down low blocks at times. And he's tried to take steps to address that. But in doing so, he's impacted the balance elsewhere in the team. And I think that we kind of got to go back to basics for this one. That's the lineup I'd like to see. Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko. Partey, Rice, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, and Inketia through the middle. Okay, uh, let's have a look at some of uh, the statistics, shall we, going into this game. Um, we'll have a look at the uh, two, of course, uh, side seasons so far. I know it's really on in the early on in the campaign, I should say, and there's not that much to go by. So I don't want to read into this too much, but it's nice to have that little bit of context, I think, um, when discussing a game like this. So uh, if you look at the head-to-head, -head, 71 meetings in the Premier League between these two sides. Arsenal have won 19, Manchester United have won 32, and there's been 20 draws uh, between the clubs. Man United haven't won at Emirates Stadium, I don't think, since 2017. So Arsenal have a pretty good record at home. Um, 
We lost to United in the MetLife Stadium. Um, I can't believe that's been included in the Premier League stats, by the way. We lost 2-0. Uh, weird that they are even including that. Uh, we beat them at the Emirates 3-2. Pakayo um, Saka scored that wonderful goal, didn't he, from distance um, that day. Uh, we lost to Old Trafford by three goals to one earlier on in that season, but I think everybody could see that day that Arsenal really did perform well. Uh, Saturday, 23rd of April, we beat them at the Emirates 3-1. And on Thursday, the 2nd of December, 2021, uh, we lost 3-2 at Old Trafford. Form guide so far, uh, if you include preseason friendlies, community shield, all the rest of it, which is what the Premier League have chosen to do. For some reason, Arsenal have won three out of five. Manchester United have won three out of five too, but they have lost the game in the Premier League already this season. They were beaten 2-0 away at Spurs. Uh, at the start of the weekend, Arsenal sit fifth, Manchester United in eighth. Both sides have won a game each. Arsenal held to that draw, of course, against Fulham. Manchester United losing at Spurs. Arsenal averaging 1.67 goals per match, slightly more than United's 1.33. One clean sheet apiece, but United, according to the Premier League stats, are creating more chances uh, per game. There are no top player stats, which is something we normally look at uh, just because it is so early on in the season. Right. Um, in terms of a prediction, I'm going to go for an Arsenal win here. I think we'll be all right. I think the home advantage will help. I think the atmosphere at Emirates Stadium will be great. Um, and I think that, that you know, we'll, we'll turn up. I really, really do. So I'm going to go with a... Ooh, um, I'm not confident we're going to keep a clean sheet. I'm going to go with a 3-1 Arsenal win. Let me know yours, uh, your predictions, that is, in the comments section below as well. And then uh, start getting some of your questions in, because I think um, we're going to spend the last few minutes uh, going through some of those. Um, it's the perfect way to round off the show. Um, what do I expect from United? I expect United to offer some threat. They've got too many good players not to. But I think defensively, there are questions to be asked of them. I think their midfield is off balance. Um, I expect it to be uh, Casemiro, Eriksen and Bruno, just because obviously I think Mason Mount is out. Um, so I think, you know, we're talking about imbalance in our side. I think there's certainly imbalance in their side. And I think home advantage puts us in a position uh, where we should go out and win this one. I'm expecting Arsenal to win this one. And that's that's where we are now, right? That's where we are as a football club. There's more pressure, um, but that comes as a result of improvement. So you kind of want the pressure, don't you? Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. Of course, if your brand's banking you as well, I'm going to take a few of your questions and then I'm going to dash because I'm off to the GTEC Community Stadium for Brentford against um, Bournemouth in the Premier League. Uh, Jid says, Havertz is just a scapegoat. We're now blaming him for everything from global warming to the order of the alphabet, three games in, and he's already been blamed for everything. For the record, Jid, I'm not blaming him. I'm blaming the fact that the team just looks a little bit off balance for why our performances haven't been as good as we know they can be. I always said that Kai Havertz was a really good signing, and I love that we've got him as a part of the squad. I just think, for me, we've got to be careful how we use him in that we don't affect other areas of the team. And that's not necessarily because of Kai Havertz. That's because of the manager's decision and the manager's setup. I think Kai Havertz is a really, really talented footballer. I'm delighted he's at Arsenal. But in this particular game, I think it's 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 one that we should be going back to basics in. Uh, Russ Morgan says, why is Arteta persisting with Partey at right back? We were successful with White last season. Do you think this is a case of simply shoehorning in Havertz? I think it's partly to shoehorn in Havertz. 
but also to keep Partey and Rice in the same team. But I also think it's a it's it's been as a result of Zinchenko not being available from the start of games. I hope that when Zinchenko is ready to start, which I hope is this weekend, we will see Mikel Arteta go back to using the left-sided player as the one that comes into midfield, which means we can go back to normal on the right and, and reinstate that balance that we had in the past. That's what I hope um, we see. But yeah, I can't be sure, of course. But I think Partey playing from right back, he doesn't stay at right back, by the way. That's where he is on paper and obviously he tucks in there when we're defending. But I think that is partly to do with getting him in the team, getting Rice in the team, getting Havertz in the team. But I also think it's partly to do with Zinchenko being unavailable and Mikel not feeling that he had anyone else that could do that role in the same way in terms of tucking in at fullback, but then going into uh, midfield and and trying to impact the game and, and set the tempo really um, from there. Uh, Osuo says, um, what will happen with Pepe now that he didn't leave? Yeah, it's a really good look. Pepe's not fit. Um, he needs to work his way back to fitness. Maybe when he does, He'll be reintegrated back into training and we can see how it goes. But obviously no move materialised for Nicolas Pepe. It is his last year of contract. I think he needs to focus on getting fit because, you know, he's had a lot of injury problems. Second half of last season isn't available now. Um, I think that's got to be his priority. And look, if he performs on the training pitch and all the rest of it, there's no reason why he can't be integrated as part of the squad. But we're going to have to see um, how that goes. Uh, Fuad says, Harry, with the squad as thin as it is, do you think this will give Mikel an out for not going far in cup competitions and instead prioritising on the Premier League and the Champions League? I think we're at the point now where people are fed up of Arsenal not being that competitive in the cup competitions. I know we've had a couple of good runs under Mikel, but if you want to be considered as as very elite, then you need to be competing uh, in all the competitions that you play in. Um, I wouldn't mind Arsenal kicking the Carabao Cup to the wayside. Um, and, you know, the FA Cup, as much as I adore it and it is a big part of our history, isn't a priority for me either. Um, so I'm not massively fussed personally about the cup competitions. But I think having spent what Mikel's been able to spend again this summer, I think there is going to be an expectation from the wider fan base that he does better in those competitions for sure. Um, and I don't think the squad size will be used as a or will be seen as a valid excuse for failing to do that. I'm going to take one or two more uh, before we say goodbye. Um, Zed Tom says, do we have any holding replacements close to being ready to make the jump from the youth teams? I mentioned Rule Walters earlier. I think Arsenal see him as a really promising young man um, and someone that could potentially break into the team soon. Uh, but I don't think he's there quite yet. Uh, a couple of Nicolas Pepe questions. We, we touched on that already, so I won't go uh, back over those. Let me just find one more. Um, just having a scroll through. Remember uh, to like uh, the stream if you haven't done so already. Uh, if you're listening on audio, leave us a review as well. That really does help. Uh, Salah Hadeen says, Hi, Harry. If Zinchenko, Tomiyasu and White are not match fit, would you accept Partey at right back? Arteta mentioned that Partey played there at Atletico. So clearly Mikel knows what he's doing. It's not a position that's completely foreign to Thomas Partey. Um, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but for me, no. Um, and I, I think he'd be used as an emergency right back. And as I say, as I keep saying, I think a lot of the reason that he's been played in that role at the moment is because of Zinchenko. And Mikel clearly thinks that it's important to have a fullback that joins in with the midfield. And, you know, when he doesn't have that from the left-hand side, 
because he's playing Kivior or because he's playing Tomiyasu or whatever. He feels that it's imperative that he does it from the right-hand side. And notice that Kivior, Tomiyasu, who have filled in at that role, are centre-backs by trade. The thing that was a little bit strange to me was that he didn't go with Gabriel um, and allow him to be the one that shuffles across uh, because, you know, he is left-footed as well. You know, I know Kivior is too, but if you're going to play Kivior there, why can't Gabriel do it? I think that's the question that people have maybe asked uh, about the, some of the decisions. You know, why is Gabriel be left out of team? There was speculation he'd be leaving. The window's closed and he's still here, which is obviously really positive news. But yeah, I, I think Mikel is just trying to be unpredictable. And, and I think maybe that's, you know, him going a little bit too far that way. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. Let, let's Let's just kind of, see what happens over the next few weeks. We're, we're three weeks in. We've had three games, fourth coming up uh, this weekend, of course, and a big one. If Arsenal go and beat Manchester United, then the mood lifts again and everybody's happy again and nobody's questioning Mikel Arteta again. If we lose the game, then I think we, we'll look at things very, very differently. Um, it's a, it's one of those games for both sides, this, where if you win it, everything's you know hunky-dory and it's happy days. If you don't, then there are going to be questions of us, whichever side are on the receiving end of that beating. So hopefully it's not us. Home advantage should be a factor here. I really do believe that. Let's hope Arsenal can go out there, get all three points, and we can move past what was obviously a disappointing uh, result last weekend. Guys, thank you so, so much for tuning in. Thank you for bearing with me last week while I was away. It's great to be back. Great to be speaking to you guys. And of course, we'll be back on Sunday uh, with a review uh, of the Manchester United game. Really, really looking forward to doing that. Hopefully, we're talking about uh, three points, a victory and all the rest of it. I'll catch you all then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Like, subscribe, all the rest of it. Follow us on Twitter, Chronicles underscore AFC. Follow me on Twitter, X as it's called now, at Harry Simi. Um, and a big thank you to everybody as well uh, for their well wishes about the TalkSport gig. For those of you that don't know, uh, I'm going to be presenting the social on TalkSport 2 every Friday now. Um, alongside uh, some brilliant, brilliant co-hosts and guests. Uh, so really, really looking forward to that. I mean, if you'd have told me when I started podcasting uh, a few years back and, you know, from my bedroom in my mom and dad's house or whatever, that I would be, um, that would be presenting a show regularly on national radio. I'd have laughed at you. Um, so I'm buzzing about that. Thank you uh, for all the well wishes, as I say. And I will see you all tomorrow. Until then, take care of yourselves. All the best up the Arsenal. Come on, you gunners. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.